Hi, you're listening to a brand new episode of Ask Akar Anything on Audiomatic.in. This is a show where you ask the questions and I answer them. You can send your questions to me via email at aaa at Audiomatic.in, also through Facebook and Twitter. Hi, I'm Hans from Chandigarh. I wanted to ask, what do you make out of the government's move to block porn sites and then backtrack? Did the reaction on the social media force the government to reverse its decision and stick to banning just child pornography? I think governments uh, in India don't think, they act in unthinking ways. When you have a set of laws, for instance, on pornography as we do, uh, and this is something that went to court, the government, without really applying its mind, would have passed an order and then figured out what to do later when the fallout of that order was known. Did social media have some part to play in it? I'm sure it did. I think this government, all governments in democracies tend to be soft towards uh, public opinion. I think that if we were very loud and very vocal on some things, the government would change its tack. In this instance, I think it didn't think of it, it didn't think the issue through. It was a very minor issue for the government. It did what it thought was right. Uh, It wasn't right, actually, and it realized that very soon. I think it says something good about the government that it backtracked. It very quickly figured out that it had done something that it ought not to have done, and then sort of weaseled its way out and gave the reason on the child porn bit. But I think remove this a particular instance of a pornography. This is how the government acts in many ways in India. It puts into place a policy without much thought. It puts it into action, realizes that it's not working, comes back. I don't think that the thinking happens before the policy is deployed. I think it happens after. That's a shame. Thomas K. from Cochin on email. Do you think Sachin Tendulkar is the last cricketing icon in India who has been elevated to a godlike superstar status? Does round-the-clock news coverage, the IPL excessive ads, etc. reduce the superstar aura for contemporary cricketers? Amitabh has said something similar about film stars as well. No, I think he is not. In fact, in many ways, he is the first in the way that cricket has been elevated in the public space, not only as a sport, but also as an advertising medium, as a political phenomenon. You have a lot of cricketers in politics these days as a global phenomenon. I think IPL and the BCCI are the most powerful bodies in world cricket. And that's not going to change for a long time. I think given that fact, Anybody we throw up of quality will have the kind of superstar status that Tendulkar had towards the last 10 or 15 years of his career. He wasn't this in the first five or seven years. I saw his first match, I think it was in 1989. And in the 3-4 years after that, he wasn't as big. I think there was a match against New Zealand in the early 90s, I would say 92-93, where he opened for the first time in a one-day. That's when he really became big. I think that anybody who does reasonably well on the field but is very competent outside the field in terms of marketing himself, speaking well, will do really well in the ad segment, particularly if they're good-looking. I don't think that Tendulkar is the last such person. I think there will be many more. Hi Akar, this is Gadvi from Mumbai. Uh, My question to you is, why are Indian men so turkey? 
by which I assume you mean Manish, uh, lewd and lascivious. Not Indian men, all men are Turkey. I think the Indian man shows his lasciviousness in ways that are slightly more crude than men elsewhere. There was a study, I think it was on Slate magazine, which showed that a woman walking down New York would get wolf whistles and catcalls at the rate of, I think it was one every 40 seconds or so over a 10 hour walk. So I don't think it's that different in any part of the world. I think it does matter what you're engaged with the other sex has been while you've been brought up for most of us I was raised in Surat and the only girls that I actually encountered uh, at the workplace were uh, laborers. Um, the first time I saw a white collar girl in an office space was after I had been working six years and I moved to Bombay. So I think for most of us, the idea of casual engagement with the other sex is not something that comes easily. We have no training on how to seduce women. We are very, very poor at uh, talking to them because we have no training on this. Given that, I think it is only natural that the reaching out happens in the way that it does in India. It is crude, yes, but as I said, it is universal. I'm Dilip Rai and I'm from Bhopal. My question to you is that after Deepika Parukone talked publicly about her battles with depression, this condition has been talked about and written about endlessly. Why do we only listen when a Bollywood celebrity talks? I don't think it's true that we only listen when a Bollywood celebrity talks. We might do it when a politician were to do it or let's say a, a cricketer or a compelling story even from somebody who's more common. I think celebrities, particularly those from the film industry, tend to portray themselves as being invincible. That is the image that most stars want to have, especially on the male side, females less so. I don't know if Deepika damaged herself or her star value by saying this. I think it made her more vulnerable, so I think it was very bright of her to do that. As I said, all compelling stories, whether they are from somebody common or somebody who's a celebrity, tend to touch us. But in this instance, we are confronted with the revelation from someone that we thought we knew, but didn't really know. And I think that that's what makes it much more interesting, that uh, this is somebody who we've seen on screen for 10 years and thought we knew much of, given the fact that we read about her boyfriends and her love life and her work life and all that. Suddenly this comes out of the blue. I think that's what makes it compelling. Hi, my name is Deepti and uh, I have a question for you. What do you think of Antila, the Ambani residence on Pedro Road in Mumbai, in purely aesthetic and architectural terms and also in terms of how it represents power? first thing that strikes me is the name. Some people call it Antelia, some people call it Antela. I'm not really sure what it is. I am told by someone who knows that it's Antela with one A, a word that doesn't mean anything. In purely aesthetic terms, I would say it is cold, um, obstinate in the way that it defies the buildings that it uh, surrounds. My friend Hemant Morpariya, the cartoonist, drew it as a giant birdie, a kind of horizontal sign to the rest of Bombay. And I think that's what it is. It's 60 stories occupied by four people. It tells the rest of the city that this is a building about power. In architectural terms, I think it's quite bland. It is modern, of course. Uh, it doesn't have much uh, personality. I think that there are smaller buildings. A lot of Frank Lloyd Wright stuff uh, comes to mind. Our uh, residences, which communicate much more than Mantilla does. It could have been more distinctive. I think given the amount of money they spent on it, one um, estimate was a billion dollars, which was then about 4,500 crore. As a representation of power, I think it's perfect. I think it stands out. It is situated in a part of Bombay where you can't miss it. But I think that they could have done something slightly better with it. 
Question from Imran in Karachi. Do you think writers should have a day job? Steady income aside, does it improve the writing? Imran, I think writers ought not to write full-time. And I say this because writers need material. There are no writers who are age 12, though we have musicians and artists at that age. Mozart was composing symphonies in his early teens. You can't have writers do that. And the reason is that writers need material. They need characters, they need situations, they need to figure out how the world works. For that, they need to go out and experience the world. The writer who sits at home um, and thinks at his desk all day doesn't really come up with good stuff. Good writing, if you could do 500 words a day, you would have a book out every year. Very few people have that kind of productivity. Uh, 500 words takes about an hour to write roughly. The problem is not time. Most people have time whether or not they have a day job. The problem is material. If a writer sits at home, they will not have that material. I would recommend very strongly that they get a job. That is why, in fact, people like Bukowski, who wrote these uh, pulp fiction type novels, or even T.S. Eliot, the poet who had a bank job as a clerk, kept their bank jobs, kept their day jobs because of that one aspect I spoke about. They got that material in. They were able to deploy that material in their writing. So day jobs, good idea. Hi, I'm Kapki Singh from Delhi. So this is my question to you. Um, I've read that the British set up clubs in India, like Gymkhana, so that they had a safe place full of their own people where they could recreate their British life. But don't these members-only clubs exist even today and perpetuate class hierarchy with their selectivity and dress codes and high fees? I think uh, it's shameful the way in which these clubs continue to operate in our uh, part of the world. They are occupied by members who don't pay much money. The land has been bestowed to them by the British Empire. This is not something that the state gets much revenue from. Most of the new memberships uh, are given to either the science, the sons and daughters and sons-in-law of the existing members or to people in power, bureaucrats, politicians who can jeopardize the functioning of the club. I think I would never be a member of a place like that and I don't say it because they won't have me, which they won't. But I say it because I think it's shameful to squat on the sort of lands that turf clubs and gymkhanas do in our part of the world. Uh, enormous uh, tracts of land worth a lot of money which could be deployed for better use. I wish they'd shut them down. I really don't like the sort of people who are members there. I rarely go to them. I think it is a perpetuation of class and I think this is something that Indians not only are comfortable with but they like it. The fact that we are a part of a small group where nobody else can be. There's a disgusting thing in Bangalore about the turf club which has I think 250 members and people pimp themselves out to get into it. It's awful. There are a hundred parties, I'm told, every year to take in members to replace those who are dead. Frankly, I'm totally put off and repelled by the kind of person who's a member at these clubs. I hope you are too. That's all the questions for today. If you'd like to ask me a question, send it in to aaa at audiomatic.in. You can also write to me on Facebook and Twitter. I'll be back next week with more answers. Remember, you can listen to all of our shows on audiomatic.in or on your favorite podcast app, including iTunes, Pocket Cast, Stitcher and Player FM. Audiomatic. You can find us at audiomatic.in or look for our shows on SoundCloud, iTunes and Stitcher.